0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to It's Real Life podcast. Uh, I am super excited about uh, this season, Um, leaders in distress, and um, hope in troubling times. And uh, I am one of the co-hosts, Chris Davis, and let me bring my other illustrious co-host into the room.
1: Hello. It's always a great joy to have these conversations. This particular topic is hot. I think that so many people are gonna be blessed and encouraged because of the conversations we are having with leaders, not just all over the country, all over the world. True, true. Man, (laughs) I am really excited about what God is gonna do with this.
0: Okay, well, you know, I. I'm going to have to just uh, take the time and give the time to our illustrious guests. Uh, So I'm going to bring you into the room and and coach, go ahead and just give them, you know, a kind of a tidbit of who you are and then we'll kind of dive in.
2: Well, Hey, I'd like to say thank you to Chris and thank you, Deborah for hosting such a great topic such as this. This has been a guide sent. um, I'm pretty sure people, whoever in leadership roles all around the world, can benefit from this this is just what it really is what you guys say it's a uh, real life and real talk um hey guys hey coach Derek lewis here uh pinkston high school athletic coordinator here football coach uh, long time ago i'm gonna go back and reverse uh state of uh texas uh university of texas graduate four-year letterman in football uh known for one of the the biggest uh foot down calls in football history, uh, role left uh, 1996 Big 12 championship game, the first in history. Um, and then you just keep going back um, at my time as a, as a college coach, 15 years in NCAA, uh, played at St. Louis uh, with, the, with the St. Louis Rams, uh, Super Bowls. You know, um, hey, I'm blessed and highly favored. I really can say that. Thank you, guys. I don't like to talk about myself. But I really appreciate you, Chris, Thank you for the platform, bro.
0: Absolutely, man. And I appreciate you um, and um, kind of bringing some of that out because I want to kind of dig into some of your life experience. Uh, when you and I kind of met and I had an opportunity to hear your story, you were talking about that the process of you know being a student athlete, uh, transitioning to the NFL, uh, having the success that you experienced on that level. Some of the experience uh, that you experienced, uh, the success that you experienced uh, at University of Texas and then beyond. And then what you were personally navigating with your family and how that played a role in the heartbeat of everything you do today. So if you could just kind of kind of walk us forward, honestly.
2: Yeah, Chris, that's, that's a good question. Great question. A lot to unpack. Let's, let me do. Uh, what I normally do as a coach and as a dad and as a husband, um, I take it in in processes. The first thing is, is that in order to be successful in anything, guys, you guys know, first, you got to have a plan that requires a vision. Once you have that vision of that plan, you got to implement the the things that you need to do to be successful in that plan. So that requires a routine. And uh, once you have a routine, Um, that you can look at as being successful. And my routine is real simple. When I wake up in the morning, before I put my feet on the floor, I get my knees on the floor, and I thank God for every blessing that he's going to bestow upon me today and every blessing that he has bestowed upon. And then I just proceed to go about my day. And my nightly ritual is, again, get on my knees before I get on my back and lay down, Um, is tell him again, thank you for all my blessings. Um, But I also make a plank a day-to-day plan of what it is I'm going to accomplish the next day. And uh, once I do that, uh, it's real easy to get out of bed and attack it. Uh, But what I really think that is real interesting about the topic that you guys have right now and how we can really push this thing forward is what do you do when life is disrupted? And kind of what you were trying to allude to, Chris, is that when you try to really Unpack everything you have to do to be a leader and a leader of people. You're not only in my position as an athletic coordinator, I'm leading young men and men, but I'm also leading women and young women. So I have to empower my women to be able to administer discipline and look at structure in a different way that I would look at it as a man. So I really have to be totally committed in. I think right now, since everything is so disrupted uh, with coronavirus, that you are looking at organizations and, you know, successful businesses. When you look at them, it's all about their routine. It's all about their structure. And your routine and your structure builds your culture. And your culture allows you to shift and change. Because you look at, when I'm just going to talk about, what I do and what I love to do for a living, the New England Patriots. I don't think there's any doubt that Bill Belichick is not only going to keep that system and that organization afloat because of the culture, not because Tom Brady left, not because the offensive coordinator left or the running back coach left, but because he has put in the culture that adapts to change. So when you look at it, yeah, I am at the top of my organization at Pinkston High School. I am really adept at change and understanding change. But now I look at my wife. I look at my son. He's no longer going to school. He's now have to do has to do something virtual. My wife, who's not an educator, she's a administrator but she's really not an educator, not a teacher, not her lane. So now what do you do when she has to stay home and I still have to go out and pour into other people and you have to stay steadfast. You have to stay steadfast to your mission statement, stay steadfast to your goals and your principles. And it's funny going through this whole process. I heard uh, leaders always talk about, man, it's just, we're going to have to adapt to change. We're going to have to adapt to change. Well, You do have to adapt to change, but if your culture is strong, then no matter what comes, no matter who leaves or who stays, your culture and your structure keeps your organization strong. So, man, just trying to unpack all of it, I think what coronavirus has taught me and what this time has taught me is to be empathetic. You know, sometimes as leaders, you get on this hey, this is the way it is. This is how we, we want to do it. We're going through the growing pains of the process in order to become a winner, in order to become a champion. We're going through those growing processes, so please just stay on task. But when I started a football season again, I noticed that, hey, not only are my employees in distress, but the kids are in distress.
1: You the know what, Coach? Are in distress. You yes, coming. So much ground right there. So I want to key in on a couple of things that you said. One, my hat is off to you for the fact that you recognize that in in serving the women that you serve as a part of what you do, that you have to look at the fact that they have to process the information differently than you do. So I appreciate that and I applaud that, that you have that perspective. The second thing that you said, you said a lot about how to manage in crisis because that's really where we are. Yep. So for, for you, what are areas of crisis that you're facing as a leader? Or wow. as a husband, or as a father. Yeah, Deborah. Again, a like lot to unpack right there. You know, uh, I, I tell you,
2: um, you know, I struggle. Uh, let me let me just tell you a couple of my struggles um, as as a man, as a black man, as a, uh, a a man that that's that's come after some people that I consider to be powerful people. May not be rich. May not be, you know, financially wealthy, but God Almighty, when you talk about rich and deep in the soil, soil and knowledge and, and love and 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 just, you know, I I, I can't speak. I it, I it hurts me to speak volumes when I pour into so much. Um, uh, and I, I've been doing this for a long time, Deborah. Uh, mm-hmm. coaching football and been around uh young men and. And, 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 and things of that nature and, and watching them grow and, you know, deal with heartache, deal with pain, deal with ups, deal with downs. And I've had my fair share, too. Um, you know, and, and I think about my 10-year-old son, um, how his dad is always, you know, being shared with other other kids, other, other, other boys. Um, and he's the only child and um, you know, how he longs for Saturdays and Sundays to just get in the truck with me and drive and just, you know, just be a a a, a kid of his dad. And uh, I think a lot of times, you know, man, I tell you I've been doing this for a long time, 15 years in and, and college coaching. I watch a lot of my counterparts um and a lot of my colleagues have boys that really don't reflect what I hear them talk about from a day-to-day process in their meeting rooms and in their interactions with young men trying to ascend to do something great and something special or graduate and and, and be a a great productive citizen in society. And I look at their kids and I see a lot of troubles and how that used to affect them and hurt them. But they will put that on the side day to day and come in and work that job and still give those kids what they would give to their son if they weren't so consumed with their time. Uh man, still unpacking, Deborah. Uh I think about so my coach, wife. <laughs> how
1: have how have you adjusted that for your life and with you and your son? Because if you're seeing it. You're aware that that draw can be very powerful, yes. and so in with you and your son, how have you maintained a balance?
2: Well, that's that's one of my uh, one of my uh, biggest biggest reasons for being a high school coach right now. You know, when I was at Air Force, my wife and I we had a bad miscarriage; we lost a daughter, and uh, you know, I went into my head coach's office and I asked him, I said, Hey man, you know, uh, finished out the season um, It's now December. Uh, what happened to me and my wife happened in November uh, and the family, we just need some time to heal coach. And, you know, he was like, I, I understand Derek. And he said, well, what about the rest of the guys in recruiting? Um, you know, just kind of dismissing like the, the machine and the show has got to go on. And um, that's when I knew right then, it was time for me to step away and come down to high school. You see Deborah, so that means you had
1: to make some hard decisions.
2: Oh, I had to make some hard decisions. You see, Deborah in college um, you know, they have um uh, uh around the clock service, man. It's, it's Monday to Sunday. Uh and for us, uh in high school, uh being the athletic coordinator and the head football coach, I get to set the hours. I get to dictate, you know, what time, you know, is family time, how family time is going to look what am I going to accept my expectations of my staff and how I'm going to govern by my golden rule family first and you have to keep it that way because if you don't deflate and take care what is yours and what you know what God gave to you to to make sure that you you measure and take care of it's going to be hard for you to take care of anybody else. So That's a
1: really, really good point, Coach. Uh, it is so important for people to hear that. And, and it's something you said earlier, too. You got to keep those things that you know that help you stay on track. You have to keep those in their place. You can't be it from them. And I, I tell you, Deborah, the one
2: thing I, I do always look at, And one thing I know that has made me tremendously successful, and I would implore all you listeners right now to do this, set goals. Set goals. Set daily goals. Set weekly goals. Set monthly goals. Set yearly goals. When you set goals, you keep yourself focused and you can stay on routine. When you don't set goals, it's easy to stray and it's easy to to lose your train of thought or or lose the path in which you're trying to go on to achieve the ultimate goal. So goal setting for me is extremely important. I still have, you know, what I've done when I was 14, the goals I set when Mm -hmm. I was 14.
1: So you mentioned um, the loss of a child. Yeah. Can you talk about for the audience and, and just share with us how you and your wife managed through that time?
2: Um, i tell you what, everything right now is still managed. I don't Mm -hmm. think you ever um, run away from that. But in order to move forward in a day-to-day process or a day-to-day life and um, see that there's a, a brighter day or a bigger picture, um, to this whole deal on the other side, uh, you have to sit down and you have to deal with it. Number one, uh, for us, uh, just even, even admitting that, you know, we were going through it was tough. So we had to seek some outside help. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I was against it, uh, raised by, uh, um, old Choctaw Indian, uh, six foot, uh, long haired, uh, African American lady, um, that, you know, kind of frowned on that stuff. Uh, But, man, I'm going to tell you, it's the best thing that ever happened to us, us being able to have uh, a a place where we can have some open dialogue because the nerve of it all was so raw, And it went from being in separate rooms uh, for the first couple of years in the month of November to now being able to hold one another and talk about, how it feels,
1: and you know? thank how you so much.
2: Still, how, how empty it still is. So
1: thank you so much for sharing yes. that, Coach. Because yes. there are couples out there who may be experiencing the same thing, and for them to hear that it may start off rugged and raw, use that, get some help, so that you can then come back together. Yeah. And you know, Deborah,
2: I'll tell you what, um, man, I um I, I, I really implore um everybody to sit back and think about this for a minute, what I'm about to say, because there's so much truth in this. Um I'm I'm from New Orleans. Uh and in New Orleans, uh we, we kinda have a subculture. Um You from you the West Bank or uh Oh, you from, from... the West? I, I'm from I'm from the East Bank. I'm from downtown.
1: Okay, um, I'm from the West Bank over in Gretna, Morero. Well, you know,
2: you know exactly what I'm about to say, then Deborah. <laughs> I don't have to be shy. Let's, let me let me let, let me uh, let me undress this thing. You mind your business, and I mind my business. Well, That's hey, it. I'm gonna tell you, we carry that in family. And mm-hmm. it's something that you said, Deborah, that was so profound. A lot of couples need to hear that. Let me tell you something, Deborah. When my wife and I went through that, I had no idea my mom and my dad went through it. Her mom and her dad went through it. My little brother went through it. Colleagues on my, my, my staff went through it. Colleagues in my profession went through it. And I'm sitting there like, how come nobody ever told me that this that this could actually be mm. a possibility because wow. I'm going to tell you, it's one thing that I hold true and I, I hold true and steadfast. My relationship with my Lord and Savior is different than your relationship with your Lord and Savior. What He gives to you is different than what He gives to me. I don't yeah. judge what He gives to you. So you don't dare judge what He gives to me. And I'm going to tell you, uh, just being square, I thought me and my maker were on a better plane. And that's another layer of what I had to unpack to become a little better and still growing and still developing as a man, trying to regain my faith. I lost mm-hmm. my faith for a little while mm-hmm. dealing with what, what we, what we're dealing with. And uh, like I said, um, you know, just, just, just going through life. Deborah is, it, it's real life and real talk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey coach, I, I, I appreciate you digging into that because a lot of times People look at individuals who have experienced your level of success and they don't see the humanity, right? You know, you, you, you've in college, you went to a major university. You, you played on bowl game teams. You played on a Super Bowl winning team. You know, you've experienced success in a number of these different areas, but then, you know, the, the leader that you are today, uh, was not without personal tragedy, hmm. you know I think that you talked about it in terms of just being able to you know i guess in a way be nimble or be able to shift when when tragedy strikes, and yeah. even you were telling your story previously when i was um when I was listening to you talk to some middle school students and families, you were talking about why family is such a major part of your life and why you're so focused on it and why you teach it and preach it to everybody that you uh, that you lead and you come in contact with.
2: Yeah, Chris, I, I, I'm going to tell you, um, it's important to me because I wouldn't be where I am today. If it weren't for people that sacrifice their lives for me. Now let let, let me, let me, let me really dig into that because now that I'm a parent, now that I'm a husband, now that I have a household that I'm in charge of, now that I pay bills. And as my mom would say, now that I'm grown, I really understand how selfless you have to be in order to to sustain a a family, a wife, a a, a son, and, and keep that together in and nurture that and mentor and mentor that and, and love that. And, and 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 then have to step out and go to another place where you no longer are in charge, but you now in certain situations have to listen to things that you wouldn't necessarily listen to because you know they're not right. And over time, you take a long time to get past that service role and learn that now I'm a leader that I have to be even bigger service because I can't be a closed door leader. I have to be an open door leader. And if I don't have an open door policy, then my, my people won't follow me. Let me tell you something. My, my grandfather, like 85 years old. I love him to death, man. He told me something a long time ago. And this has never left with me. He said, Hey son, it's more to sports than just actually doing the act, if you want to really win at this thing, you have to serve people. They have to know that you are a good person. And if you're going to lead anybody into battle or fight with you, they got to first know that you got their heart. He said, when you young cats, and he 85 now, he said, when you young cats talk about having each other back, he said, that makes my heart feel good. Because I know that y'all care about each other. So nobody will ever follow you until they know how much you care about them. So
1: that's really a, a great point. I was reading an article, um, in the Harvard Business Journal and, uh, the title of the article, I'm trying to find it on my phone. It talked about how leaders need to have what psychologists call uh, holding. It, it, it's, it's just what you talked about, that in times of crisis, vision is not what moves people forward. No. For leaders in times of crisis, they need to be able, and I'm going to put this in church terms, to minister to the people that they lead so that they are assured that you know what this is not gonna last. We're gonna make it through. That I got your back. What do you need? You know wh- where where are you hurting? And and those questions, that kind of focus, similar to what you just said, is what helps people in times of crisis.
2: No, no question, Deborah. It, it's kind of like this, uh, and I would be real simple about it. You can't tell me that. I'm bleeding on my hand if my leg has been cut off.
1: <laughs>
2: Nobody's listening to that because I got a bigger problem. I don't care about the nick on my hand. Look at my leg. My leg is gone. So in order to keep people, in order to keep an organization going or keep a team going or, or keep an athletic program going, you got to first address and acknowledge that, God, the leg is cut off. Hey, man, look, I'm going to get you some bandages on this knee. That's how you keep the vision alive in tur- turbulent times. And, you know, I, I, I don't mean to get political, but I would be remiss if I wouldn't. I, I, I'm not even going to touch on it, but I have to touch on it, guys, because my son watched it. Your, your kids watched it, your nieces, your nephews. That is what we have witnessed the last four years, guys. All you listeners, I want, want you to understand. That is not a leader. Okay. I'm gonna tell you, I would take the most uneducated, just absolutely good dad. He could have a twelve, a, a, a fifth grade education, but if he's just a good dad and knows how to be a good dad, he was a better leader than what you guys have witnessed on the world stage these last four years. It, you it, are all so right. Put that you on, are all so right. A good person. That's not a good person. Guys, Just for all you listeners, it's not a good person. So
1: So I found the title of this article uh, from the Harvard Business Review. It's the psychology behind effective crisis leadership. And one of the things that it says here is holding that whole concept of ministering to people, as I described it earlier, allows people to channel their desire to act into something purposeful and it allows them to move fully and to be more themselves and thus to be more mentally healthy people never forget how managers treated them when they were facing loss to your analogy about hand bleeding but you you, you know broke your knee yeah my my, my legs cut off you yeah know, I'm
2: yeah i would tell you deborah um I, I'm going to use a little bit of football because you know it, this, this is the reason why I'm standing we here. We expect that. We expect <laughs> that. We're looking for this, this is the reason I'm standing here. So let me go back to some of my football stuff. Okay. Let me tell you what team sports does. Okay. And I know I probably was one of the biggest advocates of not playing football or any sport this year because of the way I think my leg is cut off. Why are you telling me about the scratch on my hand? Okay. And I'll dive into that later. But my thing is, is that I know why people wanted to play it. I know why coaches wanted to coach it. I know why players wanted to play it. It is the ultimate. Every week in sports, some team somewhere around this country is in a crisis. Football coaches, football players, and just people that play team sports in general and try to play it at the highest level always find a motivational tool to keep everybody going. So in football, it's easy for us to create a us-against-the-world mentality because we do it year in and year out for the smallest things. So when things like this come, comes up, and major 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 importance i think we're more equipped to handle it so we can be extra um blunt with our speech and extra you know uh, overt with our mannerisms because of the culture that is team sports we always competing against something or somebody for something and ultimately trying to be the person at the end of that season to hold it up. But I do understand where that Harvard journal comes in that because a lot of my colleagues, what I was afraid of, because and one of the reasons I didn't want to play football was because of that, ah, the, 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 the complex, the guy complex that some football coaches have thinking that, you know, it's fake family and football. Well, no, not right now. It's faith, mm. family, and life and death. And I would, I was, I'm always leery, and I'm always uh, mindful of that these kids have another life. Like, I, I serve as a population that they have to go to work. My kids have to work to sustain the household. I, I serve Hispanic and African-American population, 75% Hispanic. They have to go out, and they have to sustain a living, to keep the household afloat. So how can I bring that amount of pressure into their lives to keep my job afloat? Because, like I told my wife about coronavirus and me being a football coach and them wanting us to play, no matter vaccine, no matter what they put in, mitigation plan here, it's a contact sport. When you're in the gumbo, there's no avoiding getting messy you can't eat gum you can't eat gumbo neat it's impossible you know what I mean. you're gonna get some on your shirt you're gonna get a little juice on your chin that's happening you're gonna have to play with the crab pinch the tail of the shrimp you're gonna have to do something that's gonna require you to get in that that gumbo so i know my colleagues i know the passion we have for this game they're gonna ask the kids and the parents to decide And that's not fair. And it's also not fair to ask my colleagues who are so passionate, just like I am about the game that we play and and we coach to ask them not to go full speed and full throttle and ask them not to ask the kids to sacrifice. That's unfair because we're sacrificing too. We don't know if when we go there, we're going to get sick, bring it back home to our families. So, you, you, you see what I'm saying, Deborah? It, it was always a quandary and a catch-22. And I understand we're in turbulent times, but and that's why I said what I said earlier in the earlier segment that we didn't we didn't have real leadership in the forefront, guys. Just didn't. You know, my my, my great grandmother always told me this: make it make sense.
0: Come on, Doc.
2: Make it now, make here, here's sense, a question
0: so. for you, man. Uh, yes. As we kind of bring our time to a close. Yep. One of the things we try to do uh, with those uh, incredible leaders and gifted leaders like yourself that we've had an opportunity to chat with is resources that strengthen you as a leader. And so one of the first questions I want to ask you is, what kind of books are you reading?
2: I read my Bible, first and foremost. I read leadership books. Okay. I, I always talk about guys. I tell everybody, this is my thing. Make it make sense. My my grandfather always told me, if you be nothing, if you do nothing, you'll you'll get nothing. So if you do nothing, you'll be nothing. So if you want to become a better leader, guess what? You got to read books. So I read guys like Maxwell, John Maxwell, because I'm all about faith and I tie it into spirituality. I read um, Doctor uh, Miles Monroe. I read mm. um, who else? Who else has been been in my uh, rotation? of late. Um oh I also read uh Robert Hill Sr. The Missing Pieces. Um man, if you if you want a good read about things that you may miss in a snapshot as a leader, huh, Read his book. Brother, you have it, it is very in-depth and uh it uh it, it really it really uh sends me to a great spot. But yeah, if 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 you want to get better at something, you need to read what it is you're trying to inspire. And like I said, Maxwell is great. Uh, Dr. Miles Monroe is awesome. Uh, Robert Hill Senior is great. Uh, but there's a, a host of others on, uh, on Amazon and you can find them and just find your niche you find your life. Uh, That's
1: good. That's good. I think our listeners will really uh, get into that. So the second question, what are you listening to? What's in your ear? What music inspires you? Oh, I'm a, just I'm, chill I'm, with.
2: I'ma tell you, I'm an old school
1: guy. You know, I'm from New Orleans, <laughs> man. So um,
2: I'ma play a little. I'ma play a little hidden beach. I love my my <laughs> instruments and my horns. I'm a Saint All grad, so you know the band is all incorporated in what I do. Went to all Gregory, right, went to Gregory Junior High School. So you know, I come from a, a, a very musical family. So I, I I'm always listening to an instrument. So hidden beach always has the array of. Uh, horns and, and percussions that mimic uh, hip hop, but if I'm hip hop, I'm still old school. I'm Biggie, I'm Tupac, I'm Common. Uh, all right, all know, right. J- j- just woke hip hop. Uh, other than that, if you really want to catch me on the Sunday, it's a New Orleans tr- tradition to run Frankie Beverly Mays. You'll find it all through my house. Through
0: my house. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. All right, so w- one last question, real quick, as we as we bring it to a close. Um, so we got the, some some resources in terms of books. We got some of your musical flavor, your vibe. Yeah. Now, lastly, when you need to relax, like leaders need to disconnect and, and kind of get away from it. When you relax, what are you doing when you chill?
2: Oh, man, that's easy, man. I'm under mama, man. What you talking about? <laughs> I'm under mama, man. I'm laying under the best comfort blanket known to man, man. My wife is awesome been with my wife since i was 18 when i need to relax or i need to chill that's where i'm at it's no not even not even a close close second i don't care what i'm doing what i got what is going on if she's not involved in the chill moment then i'm not chilling so you know what i mean
1: coach thank you thank you you, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us sharing some of the tragedy of your life sharing some of your high points we really appreciate your time with us and i know our listeners are going to be really blessed and encouraged by this conversation
2: absolutely guys hey anytime you guys want to have me back i'm more than willing man I, i really appreciate it and thank you for real life and
1: uh just trying to bring some real talk to real life i appreciate you guys thanks So, we're going to do our clothes, our traditional clothes, (laughs) right quick. Yeah,
0: go ahead, start it off.
1: (laughs) It's real hope,
0: real love,
1: real Real life. life.